0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 9th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. One libertarian argument for free markets is that markets fail and then regularly correct. The same cannot be said for most government interventions, according to Cato senior fellow Jeffrey Myron. He spoke at Cato University last year. So I want to talk about a consequentialist case for markets over government. That just says markets are imperfect Totally granted. Some are really imperfect. Some are just you know, mildly imperfect. But so are interventions. It takes an incredibly sort of narrow Ivy Tower academic to think that the right comparison is between okay, the theoretically pure market and the, uh, the sorry the, the real world markets and the theoretically pure intervention. Of course, all interventions, all rules, regulations, taxes, subsidies, mandates, have some negative consequences of their own. They don't work perfectly. They're enforced by imperfect people who have their own agendas in many cases. So the right question is always not which is perfect or not. The right question is which is less bad. Okay, we should all agree. We could all agree markets suck. Okay? Government sucks more. And that is the consequentialist case in a nutshell. Now, I haven't proven that to you yet, but that's the nature of the argument. Now, a different view along the, again, the issue of whether markets do things better than government is the following. At least in textbook economics, you, of course, can argue that no market is really perfect. And you can construct an argument that would say, hey, that, well, since it's not perfect, maybe if we did just a little teeny bit of a nudge, a small intervention in this market, it would move things in the right direction. Okay? Now, that makes some assumptions. Okay? It assumes that we have benevolent and competent policymakers who can correctly sort of create this small intervention. It ignores, slippery, you know, it ignores unintended effects and so on. Leave that aside for the moment. Okay? Or take as an example sort of clean air rules. There's no doubt that some of the noxious fumes that manufacturing plants, cars, et cetera, were putting into the air, they had the potential to reduce human health. There was certainly perfectly good motivation to want to think about reducing the amount of air pollution or water pollution that was being generated before uh, the 1970s. So the standard kind of interventionist argument from economists would be, there's really no market that's perfect. We can always make things a little better by trying to fix those imperfections. And there's a little bit of truth. okay. There's a little teeny gem of truth okay, to that observations. But the interventions never stay small. Okay? If we were talking about a teeny little gas tax okay, to reduce congestion on the highways or a teeny little gas tax uh, in response to global warming okay, or very small interventions to sort of help kids be informed about you know, working too much under child labor laws or something, you might say, okay, it can't do much harm. As an example, think about the labeling requirements on food. Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906 just said every company has to put as a label on its food and medicine what's in that bottle or can or whatever. That sounds sort of innocuous, right? I mean, how bad could that be? First of all, libertarians would argue consumers, if they care about it, they'll demand it in the marketplace, and the marketplace will provide it, but probably a lot of consumers do want to know what's in their food, and so you're just nudging companies a little bit to make sure that they put that information on the labels. They can't have done much harm. Except the Pure Food and Drug Act evolved over time into the FDA and drug prohibition and a whole host of incredibly interventionist policies. It didn't stay at this teeny little minor gentle nudge of intervention, it got bigger and bigger. And that makes total sense, why? Because any entity, individuals, firms, nonprofits, government they all want to survive. How do you survive? Well, in many instances, you survive by getting bigger. So you expand your mission, you uh, let your, uh, there be mission creep and so on and so forth. Okay? So the initial in- intervention, which may have been well-intentioned, which may even as a very small intervention been you know, beneficial, it's never gonna stay the way it was originally intended. And that's a reason to never start on that, on, on many of those interventions in the first place. So some more examples, okay, Civil Rights Act, okay, initially said you can't discriminate in employment and other things against African Americans. Of course, it's been expanded, many times. It now, for example, mandates that colleges, have to spend the same amount on women's sports as men's sports, okay. So what might have seemed like a reasonable intervention initially, okay, has now grown way beyond its initial purposes. Pure Food and Drug Act we just talked about. Social Security is a good example. In 1935, the age of eligibility for Social Security was created as being 65. What was life expectancy in 1935? 63, okay? So it was insurance against living too long, against outliving your earnings potential. Now you can still think of plenty of reasons to object to social security, okay? But as originally intended, it was not an evil purpose. The idea of providing some protection to people who were old and unable to earn a living on their own okay, was something which society might have valued, even if it would have been better to have left it to private, you know, private sources. But still, it wasn't necessarily evil in its intention. But now, Social Security, because we've kept the age of, of eligibility at 65, is providing a generous retirement for many, many years, in some cases, many decades, for huge fractions of the population. So the amounts of expenditure, the amounts of distortion are way larger than they were originally. So a somewhat well-intentioned, small, you know, not very distorting program has become a hugely important uh, and distorting program. Same deal with Medicare. Antitrust was initially created simply to go after sort of super big, evil monopolies. There may have been some cases where it was sort of justified, although even those are disputed by a lot of economists, but it's also expanded enormously to go after not just mergers that almost certainly would tend to create a monopoly situation, but also all sorts of day-to-day practices of companies like trying to prevent Microsoft from incorporating a spell checker into Word because that was gonna be anti-competitive. That was the basis of the government's case against Microsoft. Okay, it sounds loony now, but that was what antitrust creeped into because they needed more stuff to do. Okay? Education, of course, has expanded sort of beyond all recognition. Lots of people, even perhaps some hardcore libertarians, might say, yeah, I think if the government subsidizes, set aside how it actually does the subsidy, but it's subsidizing to make sure every kid can go to K through three elementary school. That's probably not so evil. You know, the the potential negatives from that are not bad. Almost every kid should go to that much school and so on and so forth. But what are we doing now? We're subsidizing zillions of 20-somethings at government expense to study medieval literature in state universities. Okay, What's, what's the social purpose of that? But that's where we ended up because of the bracket creep of the mission creep of government policies. Economic regulation, you get the same things. Another good example is infrastructure. So maybe it made sense for government to build the interstate highway system in the 50s, but we built it, it's there. And of course, there's some parts of it that are crawling apart and need repair. But if you listen to Obama, He will tell you that we need all this extra stimulus because we need all this infrastructure. And then you look at the projects that are being funded with transportation stimulus dollars, and there are crazy projects like high-speed rail between Tampa and St. Petersburg. There's the big dig in Boston, which consumed $15 billion and made traffic much worse for, for 20 years. There are beautification projects alongside all these highways that are just make work for unions and construction companies. So even with things which kind of makes some sense, and maybe there's a government role, they almost always expand too much. Jeff Myron is Director of Undergraduate Studies in the Department of Economics at Harvard University. He's also a Senior Fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at cato.org.